Hey everyone, welcome to a new episode of Vodka O'Clock Podcast. I'm your host, Amber Love from AmberOnMass.com. You can sponsor my work and the show at patreon.com slash amberunmasked, which gives you early access to the weekly cat stories about Gus and Ollie's adventures and the crazy stuff we find here in New Jersey. A lot of it has to do with uh, cryptids and mysteries and different crimes and the chipmunk mafia and fun stuff like that. So um, joining me today uh, is TJ Kirsch, who is I, I've known on the internet for quite some time. And we are finally getting the chance to talk about um, his comics and his background, and in particular, a new comic that he has made about Willie Nelson. So TJ, welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm so glad that you're here. Thank you very much for having me. So I know that you went to Cuberts down here in New Jersey, mm -hmm. but you are stationed all the way up in Albany. Correct. And yep. um, beautiful this time of year, of course. Yes. Uh, and um, you've got this wonderful resume of being a writer, an artist, and a literary agent. Yes. So... Um, since uh, I don't get to talk to Asians very often, I, I did want to ask a little bit about that, like how you came into this role of being an agent and, you know, where people can, you know, find you or pitch to you or whatever your process is, if you're sure. open for, for things or not open right now. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. I'm, I mean, it's um, it's something that I sort of fell into accidentally. Um, at the end of last year, um, you know, I had been um, toiling away for 15 plus years as a comic book artist and writer, and um, and financially it wasn't really paying off as as much as I would have liked, of course. And so I was looking for something else to do that um, activated another part of my brain and. Uh, something that I could still utilize a lot of the contacts and connections and experience that I had while still being in that world with one foot in sort of the traditional book publishing world. Um, and I had been doing this in some form for a while before that, um, in a sense, just kind of, um, facilitating friendships between, um, publishers that I had worked with and have had experience with, um, with friends of mine who were looking for projects, sort of matchmaking in that sense, just here and there, um, somewhat unsuccessfully, mind you, but, uh, but I enjoyed the making of the connections and, um, sort of mentoring people and facilitating their own books and um, helping them out in whatever way I can, just with my own experience. And um, at the end of last year, I uh, an opportunity kind of presented itself with a friend of mine, and he was looking for a publisher for his book. And um, so I said, maybe, maybe I can just, maybe I can just be your agent, and I can do this. And it, thinking, you know, how hard can it be? <laughs> and uh and it's very hard 
I was going to say there's there's like things to oh all that all that legal stuff to read and review and yeah, um, but most of it is reading people's submissions and developing relationships with editors and publishers and um, that aspect of it I, I really enjoy and um, just being a part of people's creative process. And um, kind of taking care of that end of their work while still uh, mentoring them, in a sense, with the creative stuff as well. So it's, um, it's interesting and, and it's fulfilling. And, um, but it's, it's different than the work I had been doing. Um, and is your focus just on, um, on comics? I know it's like, you know, it's not as common for comic creators to have agents but it's you know every once in a while you hear of it or what you know or are you delving into other things well initially my my focus was to just focus on graphic novels and target those graphic novel publishers and those um the graphic novel imprints of the larger publishers in, in new york and um and elsewhere. But, uh, but as time went on, as I talked to more and more editors, I kind of uh, learned that I should probably cast a wider net if I wanted to make any kind of mark as an agent. Um, because it's, it's tough to find great projects that, that need agents and that are also ready to be published. Um, um, You'd think there'd be more, but, um, you know, it's tough to find them and tough to find, um, tough to find clients in, in, in a consistent way and in one spot or another. Yeah. Like you said, um, with stuff that's ready to be published and, and every agent that I've seen on, on Twitter talks about that, that, you know, the time to, look for an agent nowadays because mm-hmm. it's different um, is when you have stuff as finished as and polished as possible. Right. Um, so how does that work with something like, you know, like a picture book or something that's, uh, you know, that's a, a bigger project? Is, do you, you know, you still have to wait for, I mean, do you, does somebody know exactly what measurements and resolutions and all that stuff? Well, that kind of stuff comes, yeah, that kind of stuff comes later. Um, Okay. The picture book author clients that I have currently um, are all uh, specifically writers. So they are shopping around picture book text submissions only. Okay. And um, I'm definitely open to, writer artists um because then you can tell you know right off the bat whether their work is professional or not but um with text submissions you have to go in and and read them obviously and um but editors also like to um acquire those text manuscripts and then match them to an appropriate artist Oftentimes, um, 
artists that they've already worked with or they have a relationship with. That way they can control the entire uh, production process from the get-go. And um, it can be art-directed through their department and everything like that. So it's a kind of a controlled process in that sense. But um, okay. but the clients that I have currently are all text-based, based, and it's just their manuscripts that I um, – that I acquired and um, signed, and uh, and that can, their scripts just kind of spoke to me, and and I thought they were really really good, so that's why I signed them. And uh, from there, I have to contact the editors and and submit to them and, and things like that. Yeah, this is one of the reasons that I would love an agent because that sounds like the the hard the the much harder part than the writing and editing. I mean, because mm-hmm. trust me, I, I I know revisions are so necessary and everything. Um, but yeah. uh, but it's the shopping around and the wait, you know, all the rejection. It's, it's like oh yeah, that's it's, a, it's a lot of waiting. Painful. <laughs> it's it's yeah, a lot of waiting and it's painful. It has. Has stuff I didn't get to to talk to you about this previously. Has stuff like Kickstarter um, made any kind of impact for agents in in the sense where they could say, "Look, this person already has a certain amount of fan base, um, or there's already funding, um, so like you know we could we could already." pay for the artist from fans um does that does that happen through this type of stuff that you work on because obviously i back kickstarters as whenever i can yeah especially you know for for comics Mm -hmm. um and they are they range anywhere from people looking for uh, you know two thousand dollars all the way up to people looking for fifty thousand dollars right so um it's very very broad in in how people can make these books come to life so does that have any impact on on agent perspectives i would say from an editor's perspective um anything that indicates that this person has fans or a following it can never hurt in that sense so if they've previously raised a bunch of money with a bunch of fans, um, an agent will, will definitely take notice and uh, put that in the back of their minds. Um, but, yeah, I'm not sure. It's just, okay. it's always a case-by-case basis. And if the work is good and they have a, a strong fan base, that's, I mean, that's a winning combination, obviously. Yeah, I, I just know that with how most people are struggling these days in the creative industries, that it's, you know, I, I see people who have very successful traditional book series. Um, they're, you know, they have agent representation. They, you know, they might have a three book deal, but they also have Patreons right. <laughs> to keep going every month. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's you know it's, it's an interesting it's mix like, of things going on at the moment yeah 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 i can think of a, a few people that um that have patreons and 
pretty big book deals going on at the same moment. And it's kind of like, I just always think of James Kachalka, um, you know, in the late nineties and the early two thousands, he was, he would have a book at top shelf and then have a book at mm-hmm. high water books. And then a, a book at, um, you know, somewhere else, just because he was afraid of any one publisher just going under at, at any one moment because it was, you know, it's such a small amount of money that's that's changing hands with a small press. You know what I mean? So it's it's um it's just having your income from several different kinds of places at the same time. Um that's, just because it's so funny that, that you bring him up though, because I think he's got books out with IDW right now. Yeah. And, and he's got a new Scholastic series coming out pretty soon. Scholastic sounds nice. That that sounds, you know, oh, yeah. like a good deal. I'm sure it is. <laughs> <laughs> so let's see. Um, okay. So that takes you into the world of being a literary agent um but as you said that came after you you know you've already had an established career as a writer and an artist and Mm -hmm. let's let's jump into the way back machine and talk about uh little tj and how your creative uh aspirations were supported if they were supported um sure what it was like in in school or um because I'm always curious to know if if people had the kind of like teachers or parents that were supportive or if they were just like, you know, you're going to need a real career, right? Like, you know, you're going to need to like, have something yeah, it's, else. On the- <laughs> it's funny. Um, you know, I think back to back then and, uh, you know, I was always the kid that could draw in elementary school. And um, I remember distinctly, you know, drawing pictures of, of whatever the Simpsons or um Mickey Mouse and people would classmates would kind of crowd around in a, like a half circle around me, my desk as I was drawing. And I'd be like, that's nice that you want to see me draw, but uh, can I be alone? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, teachers were always supportive and, and uh, more than once, more than a few times, you know, there'd be a, a school project or something and everybody wanted to be my partner because, you know, if there was any kind of art uh, aspect to the, the project, I could nail that while they can just, you know, go outside and play or whatever. Oh, uh, you had a good science fair board, right? Sure. Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> now, you were, uh, were you a follow the rules kid or were you like drawing on the desk? No, no, I was always a quiet, very appropriate kid, very kept myself and the drawing was just kind of my own thing as my own little world that I could retreat to. Um, so I, I've said plenty of times that a lot of times my love for uh, comics really was more in cartoons. I, you know, I loved the super friends and Spider-Man is amazing friends, and all the mm-hmm. Hanna-Barbera stuff sure. and Hercule- Herculoids and, and those wonderful cheesy things. Um, 
So what kind of influences did you have? Because, um, you know, we, the funny papers, I, I don't even know if they still print funny, funny pages anymore. I th- guess I they mean, do. I know they online. <laughs> it's getting smaller and smaller. I mean, it's got to be hard to, to have a syndicated strip. Yeah. And yeah. I, like, I think the Spider-Man one, like, just ended after 50 years or something. Oh, really? I didn't even know that was still so. running. It, yeah, I think it, I think it was running up until recently. Yeah. Yeah. I was on the board of um, my local paper's uh, comic page. They had like a comics panel of comics experts and I made it into that uh, board, which was pretty cool. We got to go to the paper in the big conference room and feel important and uh, have our input about what comics they should either uh, cut or bring on board. Wow. And it was so cool. Um, so I, I, uh, I think my big accomplishment was getting Keith Knight's uh, strip in the Times Union. And uh, I got to tell him that in person when I saw him in SPX. And he thanked me. And that was cool. pretty cool. Oh, um, wow. But yeah, that, that was pretty cool. But yeah, um, as a kid, uh, I, I loved comic strips. I loved, you know, Garfield and Peanuts. And um, later on, it was Zitz. Um, but yeah, I liked the comic strips. I liked Disney Channel was like a whole new thing when I was growing up. And they just, they didn't have a lot of content to begin with. So they would just rerun, you know, all the cartoons from the 40s and 50s and 60s. Just these shorts that would just like play on a loop all day. And I think that kind of like programmed my brain for the rest of my life to, uh, um, to like Disney cartoons. Um, so I liked that. And my older brother would, would bring, uh, DC comics around. Um, so he, he would always have flash and Superman and Batman. This is like late eighties, early nineties. And, um, so that was a big, influence on me and I, and I could I could still um, identify any kind of late 80s early 90s DC comics artists you know within a, within a second and uh, yeah and that's you know and it, it, as long as that's um, they're allowed to do that I think you know when when we start talking about the this Willie Nelson book of yours when artists are allowed to have their own style as opposed to um, certain publishers that end up redoing a lot of the art in some way. And I don't, I don't even know if the people who go through that process get credit. Uh-huh. Um, you know, they buy, they buy these pages of art, but then they want all of their books to look a certain way. Um, yeah. It's, you know, or, or they just come up at a publishing house where everybody draws exactly the same. <laughs> right. Right. Or yeah, those, they hire the people that are influenced by the people that they hired that, 10, 10 exactly. or 15 years earlier. Yes. So, you know, everybody draws the the same one body shape for, you know, a, what they consider a female body and one masculine body. And sure. It's a shorthand. Yeah. You change the clothes a little bit, the, the, the color of the clothes. That's just it. If it, and if it wasn't in color, then you wouldn't even be able to tell the characters apart. Right. Yeah. But um, yeah. So the, the, the pages that you've 
created with your your friends that we'll talk about is is so different. So yeah, back in, you know, at least even now you can see certain publishing houses like DC and Marvel, you, you know, you can identify artists right away. Yeah. Um, you know, I love, uh, I love that too. When I can look at somebody makes, I don't know, a meme or, or whatever. And I'll just be like, ah, that's a Katie cook. Right. <laughs> I'm like, I know that, but it's like going to a museum and you can say, that's the Monet. That's, of you course. know, yeah. <laughs> that's the Degas. Mm-hmm. Um, so after, uh, you know, elementary school and high school and all this, then um, how did you continue on? Did you decide that art was definitely the way to go? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jumped in. Um, well, <laughs> I mean, I was totally into it, into drawing and, and uh, all throughout elementary school and middle school. And, um, but the end of middle school and into high school, I, I kind of gave up drawing for a while and I got really into, um, playing in a band and I was in, I was a drummer in a band for all four years of high school and taking that super seriously. And the only real drawing that I did during high school was, you know, an art class, and, you know, here and there, I, I didn't really take it too seriously. But when high school kind of came to an end and I had to make a decision about what I was going to do next, I just kind of, I always knew in the back of my mind that I was going to go to art school. And that was kind of my direction, my destiny. Um, and uh, so I was, I was researching art schools and I... I wanted to go somewhere in the South where it was warm because after, (laughs) you know, all the Northeast winters I've been through, I just wanted some warm weather. (laughs) That's all I wanted. (laughs) So I, I I was flipping through a lot of, um, you know, college course catalogs and whatnot. And and I saw um, SCAD, uh, Savannah College of Art and Design, and um, I, I liked what they had to offer as far as their school and their environment and the city. And it just looked gorgeous and like paradise. So that was where I was going to go. And I got in after applying there and a couple other schools. And um, and I remember having to um, pick my major online like uh, – a little bit before school started, before the school semester started. And um, so just on a whim, I chose sequential art because there's a sequential art major, a comic art major, and um, they were pretty much the only game in town at that point as far as um, studying comics at a university. So it just kind of happened and um and i hadn't really been reading comics too much since i was younger but i realized at that exact moment that all my favorite artists were comic book artists and it just happened that way and i ended up there and studying how to make comics and drawing comics and writing comics and they had a great library of 
insanely influential alternative comics that pretty much shaped my taste in comics for years to come and still does. <laughs> like just <laughs> Chester Brown and Dan Klaus and Seth and yeah. and those guys. And um so yeah, it just from there I was I was just obsessed with comics and all that went into it. And uh, so that 20 years ago, that kind of set me on a path, which I'm still on right now and in the comics world. And my comics education has never stopped, I think. Now, when they, um, in, a, in an art school like that, I, I imagine you probably had to take art history, which I took in a regular college. Yeah. Um, or art, you know, art appreciation type stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so with a, a comics major, was there a, like, were there history classes that didn't involve, you know, drawing and just involved studying? Yeah. I mean, I was only there for a year, so I didn't have too many courses that were um, intensely comics focused. I think I had one a studio class that was like, you know, intro to sequential art one. (laughs) And the rest of the courses were foundational art courses that everybody has to take that goes to the art school. So it was drawing and and design and color. And um, I was bad at all of that uh, before I went there. And then I I never really paid attention to color theory or art uh, history or anything before that uh that school year so it was really a good refresher and um i learned a lot of the basics of drawing that i kind of never really formally studied and because i was just kind of a lazy kid and um drawing was just kind of my outlet i i didn't really formally study it in any serious way so um that year was really my foundational year um, learning how to hone my hone whatever raw ability that I had, and it was really helpful. And um, by the time I did get to those courses, the comics courses later in in that school year, um, I was totally on board. And um, on my own in my own downtime there, I was checking out every single book in that library. And uh, just studying them with a magnifying glass and, you know, how does Dan Clow's letter, how does uh, Chris Ware color, all of those things. And um, so that was really helpful as well to deconstruct that and just and it, just immerse know, myself in comics. You know, like thinking about Chris Ware and like how how completely different the their pages can look like they can have you know like 30 itty bitty tiny panels yeah you know as opposed to like you know five big chunky panels or something like that Mm -hmm. um you know it's just really wild and you see the character going through and you know like through whatever it is um it's a so it's a different reading experience altogether definitely yeah you know and it's like hey but it's still comics you know (laughs) yeah yeah and I was learning, you know, how to put together comics and, and here's, 
here are people who learn the rules of comics and they take it as far as they can in one direction, really being kind of a formalist like uh, like Chris Ware or like Matt Madden. Um, those people are just kind of playing with the form in an academic type way, um, you know, boiling things down to comic iconography and, uh, you know, making them almost symbols. You know, you abstract something so much that it's barely even a, a drawing. It's like a... Right. Um, you know, it's like a, a letter, a character, you know, a character of a letter, you know what I mean? Um, right. So, yeah, that was that was great to see where you could take comics in a formal way and in an abstract way. And. Um, but, yeah, that was just my time to to learn on my own and basically supplemented by whatever course I was taking at the time. But I, I had some great, great teachers. A guy named Yeah, I've heard great things about SCAD. I mean yeah. um I've always heard great things about them. Um and then you ended up even after a year there, then you did three whole years at Qberts, which is no easy task. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I um you know th- it's it's three very difficult years. <laughs> yes, it was very difficult. Um, yeah, after that year at SCAD, I, I took a year off. Um, I tried a, a liberal arts college, the College of St. Rose here in Albany, and um, I just didn't like it. It was like going back to high school after after being at art school for, your, for a year and then going back to a liberal arts school. It's like it was like shock to the system. It was like culture shock in reverse. You know what I mean? Um, Art school was like a, like this freak show party. Like it was, you know, the most different, uh, odd people from every school in the country coming to a school. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, every art nerd in every high school, and they end up in one place, and that's what art school is. And uh, but going back to a liberal arts school just to try that and studying studio art was just oof. It was not fun. And so I quit there. And um, and Cuber School was my kind of um, hail mary. Like I got to do something. I got to study something at some school. Or else I'm just going to have to go to work. Um, so, and I and I knew about Qbert from, you know, when they had the ads in DC Comics in the 80s and yep. 90s. Yep. And, you know, I'm like, Bart Sears went there. And I mean, he's an amazing artist. So, <laughs> um, and you kind of learn over the years by, you know, reading Wizard Magazine or whatever that, that the Qbert School is incredibly difficult. And it's like a boot camp for artists. It is. And yeah. So I was, um, but I knew that I kind of needed a push and a kicking the ass, um, just because I was lazy and, you know, if I could get away with doing the bare minimum and, and, uh, then I would do it. But I know I, you can't get away with that stuff at a place like Hubert school when you have to yeah, really exactly. put in the work. Like you said, the the kicking kicking in the ass. Yes, like they, you know, your ass has to be in the chair. <laughs> yeah, you, you 
exactly. Um, and, you know, some people don't, I mean, three years, it feels like a long time when you're there, you know, when you're going through it. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, before you know it, it's like, okay, no. Yeah, no, what do I do? <laughs> now what do I do? Um, yeah, but I, I, I loved it, and I'm, and I mean, I, I made, I have so many lifelong friends that I made there, and it's like, I was telling somebody, someone the other day, it's like the equivalent of being in a wartime foxhole. <laughs> it yeah. really is like boot camp, and you're just, you're just in a room at a drawing table. You're like shackled to this drawing table, not literally, but. Um, you know, hours and hours a day, and then you say goodbye to your friends, and then you go home, and you gotta do three or four more hours of work for the next day's classes uh, assignments that you have to turn in, and um, so it's just a lot of your ass in the chair drawing, and you can only get better if you do that. Mm -hmm. So that's why so many talented people come out of that school having graduated is because they've put in the time and um, if they're halfway decent when they get there, they're ready to go when they're done. Yeah, absolutely. And they, they also have, um, you know, they'll have somebody from DC, I think usually come in and do like portfolio reviews um, yeah. once a year or stuff like mm -hmm. that. Um, so they, you know, they, yeah, I remember they, uh, they have great they have great contacts as well, and you have opportunities. They do. You know, yeah, plus I, I, they the the local conventions when we could have them. Usually, there would be a Kubert School booth, um, mm -hmm. which was you know was great because then the students could go to the show for you know for free or whatever, or right. at least at a discount, I would assume, and you yeah. know work some time at the booth. Yeah. Plus, I mean, it's a short train ride to New York City. And, right. you know, that's like the the whole world opens up to you if you can just get on a train and go to New York for a couple hours. And uh, so that was a pretty attractive aspect of the Cubert School, too. And so you um, immediately like you knew that that creator owned and making your own stories was more yeah. of a draw for you than um than the idea of you know writing or drawing spider-man or something like how you know well it, it was kind of a mix i mean i that year off before cubert school i really um i kind of hunkered down uh and um tried to make my own thing and i was i was starting to make mini comics and um, getting them printed at Kinko's and things like that, mm -hmm. which is a, a really good education in and of itself, seeing how you, your work would be printed and uh, adjusting it and seeing what works, seeing what doesn't work and um, just polishing your storytelling, uh, making actual comics. So I was doing that while I was... Uh, I was a parking lot guy at an independent movie theater here in Albany, which was the greatest gig because I could just sit <laughs> and just uh, watch the parking lot for a few seconds and then, and then go back to making comics. 
And, um, and I got free popcorn, free soda and free movies when I wasn't working. So. Yeah. It's a lot like my receptionist jobs. I was like, I'm just here writing my novel, occasionally answering the phone and hitting transfer, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So by the time I went to Kubert school, I was really, um, adamant about making my own comics and writing my own stuff. But when, but when I got there, you know, um, I started looking at it as a profession and I would, I would have taken whatever work came my way. And, uh, so I was pretty open-minded about everything, but I, I still had my favorites. I still had, you know, Chester Brown and Dan Clow's books that I would pour over every, every few days and, uh, and then go to school the next day and, and, my classmates at Kubert will be passing around, you know, the latest Batman issue or, right. or what have you. And um, so I was studying kind of all aspects of every type of comic and it was, it was great. Yeah. And they, I mean, the, you know, it's the, the school itself and you walk through those halls and it's mm-hmm. like just the most magnificent like gallery basically of, of going going through um you know you see the different pages that people mm-hmm. have worked on or they have big murals and st- yeah and just i mean just to see it's Joe hubert's artwork up close yeah that that's just worth going and visiting a school by itself i mean it's it's yeah. his work is is pretty incredible to look at up close so when um you, you know, started thinking about storytelling and working on your own stuff. And this is something that um, obviously comics has an, an interesting breakdown of is sometimes you're the writer, sometimes you're the artist, sometimes you're the color artist, sometimes you're the letterer and you can do, you can do all of those things. So, um, you know, did you did you go through any collaborations prior to the the Willie Nelson book? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, okay. I well, right after I graduated, um, I got hired as an art intern at Archie um, because I'd sent them an, an art submission and, and a cover letter, and 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 I got a call from them that them that were they were looking for art interns and I, I went down there and got interviewed and they ended up hiring me for that. So for the summer I was, I was helping everybody out that needed any kind of art help on the, you know, on the art boards or just doing computer coloring or production stuff, um, which was really fun. And I got to know a lot of people there and um, I guess I made enough of an impression that uh, they hired me in the fall as a uh, full-time production artist for the digest department um, when they, when they, when someone left and they called me up and and asked me to come down. So I worked there for about eight or nine months, I think. And um, so that was, that was pretty cool. And, um, yeah. but as far as collaboration after that, um, I illustrate a lot of writers scripts. And so I, I, I had some experience with collaboration and, um, 
at Qbert, there's always assignments where um, somebody would color your stuff or ink your stuff or you're inking somebody else just to kind of get used to that process if that's the way you want to go in your career. Um, so I always liked collaborating with people in, in any form. When you did Pride of a Decent Man, was um, was that all you, including the lettering and stuff? Yeah, that was all me. That was um, the all you. Okay. That was all me. I think um, the first few pages I had some help with coloring, um, but then a friend of mine, he taught me like some shortcuts for coloring in, in Manga Studio, and and then I just kind of burned through coloring pretty fast and was able to do everything myself. And um, but yeah, that was my sort of singular vision and. Um, that was my one solo graphic novel that I've done so far. And that was, that's kind of the thing that I had been working towards, um, since I started studying comics like 20 years ago. Well, you worked on that for a really, you know, decent amount of time. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I remember the inks in particular, was that all digital? Yeah, everything was digital. I've I've that been okay. working all digital since about 2008. I did an Oni Press book called Uncle Slam Fights Back. Um, it was supposed to be kind of a an election cycle um, relevant thing. Um, there was like a robot John McCain and <laughs> and. Um, Uncle Slam was Andy Parks' character, and he was kind of uh, the elevator pitch for that book was just kind of Captain America if he had been brainwashed by Fox News, which <laughs> in 2008 sounds, sounds quaint, but if you can imagine that happening this year, it would be a yeah. different book. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. But, the Mueller uh, report. The Mueller report book is out from IDW, by the way. Right. So. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, um, since then, I, I was digital just because I was. Um, I had a short deadline for that, and I, I needed to do it quicker than I had been doing work. So, and I had a full time job at the time, so I, I convinced my boss to let me go part-time temporarily so I could go home and like work on that and then come back the next day and do the same thing until I had the book done. And, and then, have a baby. Um, <laughs> well, that came much later, but, uh, um, but yeah, then that book came out and there was like, um, a month between it coming out and election day. So <laughs> there wasn't much time to promote it. And, after election day, it was kind of irrelevant. So it kind of disappeared into the ether. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, now it's, um, it's so funny, because, uh, you know, comics have always been political, there's always been political content, uh, you know, for, you know, even if just thinking about from like our generation, our lifetimes, you know, you think about that, you know, the X Men, um, you know, and plenty of comics have have had political 
storylines and people seem to be all up in arms now like oh you're forcing your feminism in my comic and blah 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 it's like dude have you picked up a book like i mean <laughs> yeah did you ever read wonder woman in the 40s or did you ever read uh you mary know, birth you know was a comic strip you know <laughs> do you remember that cover where uh captain america was punching the nazi or punching hitler <laughs> yeah exactly it's like you know come on really um <clears throat> yeah, it's absurd when, when people get like that. Yeah. Um, so you uh, got to work when you did Pride of a Decent Man. That was with NBM uh, Publishing. And, and yeah. they're also the ones that are making these cool biographies. Mm -hmm. And this is where we come into this Willie Nelson book. Um, yeah. Because I, I, you know, just grazed through their their catalog section and they have like Bob Marley and Monet and Einstein. They have all these um, very diverse mm -hmm. biographies. And so did they approach you or did you pitch them? How did it come about? Well, I pitched them. Um, I, uh, being that I worked with them on Pride of the Decent Man, um, I wanted to work with them again and... I knew that they were doing books like that and I knew they did an Elvis book and a Beatles book and Bob Marley and, um, but they hadn't yet really done something country music centric. Um, and I had been getting into the old time country music and like Hank Williams and, and, um, I'm drawing a blank now, of course, but, um, <laughs> but all of Willie Nelson's, influences were playing on this Sirius XM channel of his called Willie's Roadhouse. And I started listening to this um, just kind of accidentally one day. And, um, and I, I really got into it. And coincidentally, it's those, those musicians, those artists and singers, um, they were what my, both my grandfathers were into, you know, my grandfather would always sing, uh, Roger Miller songs under his breath, whistling into a room. And, and my other grandfather would be, uh, reciting Johnny Cash songs. And <laughs> mm -hmm. so all of these people, um, it feels like kind of coming home and, and, uh, it's, it's comforting to hear that stuff just because I, I heard it growing up without even really knowing it just it playing in the background while I was a kid. And, um, so I, I got into it and I, you know, researched the origins of it and really got into it. And Willie Nelson would come up a lot. And, um, and I knew he was just super popular all, all over the world and he has had such a career and, but I mean, I was just a casual fan like anybody else. I knew on the road again, I knew that. Yeah. You know, the greatest hits. And, yeah. Always on my yeah. mind. And, you know, I, I knew for some reason that he wrote crazy by Patsy Cline. I learned yeah, that. I didn't years know ago. that until I didn't know that until yeah. I read your book. I was like, mm -hmm. holy cow, this whole time. Yeah. Yep. And uh, so, yeah, I think I just thought that was really natural to pick him because i mean one he looks so distinctive he would be fun to yeah. draw <laughs> yeah and, yeah exactly uh, and um but he's just so popular and he's just one of those um you know pop culture figures that everybody 
likes and and nobody has a bad thing to say about and yeah. uh he's an activist he he stands up for the right things he's yeah. got a positive attitude i mean what's not to like so i mean i yeah. pitched him i pitched that as a book to terry nantier at uh nbm and right away he just said yeah go do it go ahead <laughs> that sounds great wow because I, I mean, all the other biographies I think were uh, translated from European writers and artists, um, like the Beatles and and uh, Elvis, which is strange because they're um, you know American and and English mm-hmm. artists, English. yeah. But their uh, you know biographies are being done in Europe just because their their market over there is so diverse that something like yeah. that can survive over there. And um, I'm, I'm glad that people like Terry are, are bringing them to to our shores and um, kind of di- diversifying our our comic market and, and bringing in different genres and sort of the literary genres and and uh, just elevating what comics can be. So uh, so yeah, we're. I'm thankful that that he's he's doing that and um but but I think he grew up for years when he was younger in France and um that was a big part of his um creating his mission as a publisher was was seeing the market over there and um wondering why that that we don't look at comics as an art form like the rest of the world does exactly yeah why it's they, just, they have respect for it over yeah <laughs> yeah more than anything else it's just respect and and they they treat artists like real artists and yeah. not like uh here where people are you know think it's just this throwaway kind of low lowbrow art you know right and this so the the people that you got to work with on the Willie Nelson book, um, some of them are American and some of them are, are not. So um, I know you, you got to um, also bring on people that you knew from, from Cuberts as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, I definitely want to give them their props if we can get through their names. Um, yes. Kashkun Kuzgun is uh is the first one and i mean magnificent realistic yeah looking painting and it's also you know and it's funny we we're talking about you know how distinctive willie nelson is you know the his early days when he wore a suit and yeah. you know yep. <laughs> in his youth he before the braids like i always knew him with the braids um you know it's like i wouldn't have recognized him uh so it was great seeing seeing that and then chapter two is very different style jeremy massey and then we go to harvard johansson harvard harvard johansson Harvard Johansson, um, Jesse Lonergan, Jason Pittman, J.T. Yost, and then you round it out with uh, the end there, T.J. Kirsch. And, yeah. But you also have your friend Adam. So, yeah. So uh, definitely want to give a shout out to Adam Walms- Walmsley. Yeah, name? Adam Walmsley. Um, beautiful portraits. Yes, yeah. He's 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 so great with, with likenesses and, and everybody has, has great things to say about his, his chapter illustrations and 
he did the first and last uh, sequential pages of the book, and um, the art, art director at NBM saw fit to to use his artwork for the end papers of the hardcover book as well. So it's uh, Adam was yeah. pretty surprised to see his artwork <laughs> blown up, and he's like, "I didn't even know they were going to do that. That's pretty cool." <laughs> it's gorgeous. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's um it, it's staying all black and white. I mean, at least the proof I read is all black and white, right? Yeah. Yeah. Everything's black and white. Um, I just knew it was going to take, you know, much longer to, to do a color book and, and keeping it black and white is just another way to unify all the artwork. Um, Mm. because every chapter is a different artist. It's, that's just one of the ways that, um, I thought we could unify the book as a whole. Um, just, it's somewhat of a throwback doing black and white these days, but when it's done well, it looks really great, I think. Oh, yeah. There's, I mean, it's, you know, it's a monochrome, you know, palette, but it's, there's so much, like, variation in the gray scale. And like I said, once you get to chapter two, like, the the inking style is totally different. Right. Um, so it's, yeah, you can tell you're reading the same book. Um, but, but there is this, this breath uh, you know this vibrancy that comes through of like oh this is how this person um you know sees sees them and yeah it's it's really cool um but i did want to get into your how you steered the whole project which i find fascinating because um you also had to do you did all the lettering so as opposed Mm -hmm. to you taking on all of the tasks um, you still, you still had to manage the project yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, that's just another one of the ways that I wanted to unify the, the art as a whole was to do the lettering myself just to tie it together. And because I know if I I've picked up anthologies before of, of different subjects and, um, when you go from chapter to chapter, if the lettering's wildly different, it kind of takes you out of it a little bit. Even if the the artwork is different, if you keep the lettering, yeah, it, it, yeah, you only notice the lettering if it's bad lettering. If it's bad, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly it. Um, yeah. Uh, so uh, lettering is so important, and uh, you know, a lot of writers think oh, I'll just do lettering myself so I don't have to pay another person. But it's a whole different skill set. It's not yeah. just typing. <laughs> like, that's not it. Right. So, um, so yes, if you learn to letter and you do your own lettering, that's, that's fabulous. Um, so, you, uh, so you scripted. Did you have everything completely scripted? Then? Yeah. Because it's a big, pretty big book. Um, yeah, I was kind of last year. I was just kind of hunkered down in my office and 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 typing. And um, I'd have you know my research everywhere, and I'd be typing. And um, and after I got a chapter of uh, you know ten or fifteen pages, um, I would do all the page templates, and you know based on whatever uh, panel layout i had in the script i'd make the the panel layout you know be it a six panel grid or a five panel grid um that was just another one of the ways i could i could unify the art art 
throughout the book and keep it easy to follow. Um, just making really uh, basic comic panel layouts. Um, and uh, it's kind of a throwback way to do it, it's sort of like an EC Comics way of doing it in a sense that you make the panels and you put the lettering in there. That way the artist knows that's how much space the lettering needs. So nothing gets covered up. No artwork gets covered up because the lettering's already there. So yeah, it's um, kind of brilliant and I never heard of it before. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I, yeah. So I, I, I mean, yeah. a lot of times that that'll be a lettering complaint is uh, they have the characters on the wrong side. You know, you're supposed to read from, you know, Right. from left to right and um yeah if the, it, the otherwise you get the balloons crossing and that's nonsense nobody wants yeah. to read that <laughs> but yeah any skilled um cartoonist if they see the lettering in one place um you know it kind of automatically dictates how the storytelling is going to be told throughout the page so um that was just one of my ways that I can control the storytelling without having to draw it myself. Um, so after every chapter, I do all the panel layouts and the lettering and just like the rough lettering, I wouldn't do the finished lettering. So I just, I'd send them the rough uh, grid and the, and the lettering and they, they'd uh, send me back the, either the pencils or the finished inks and um, I'd go in and do the finish lettering on top of that. And um, uh, and then the finished page would be after I completed it. So, um, yeah, that, that was process for every chapter. And, and I'd be doing, you know, several chapters at once working with artists, depending on what time okay. what the timeline was. Okay. So you had to have like all, you know, a hundred pages of script was yeah. totally done. You didn't do it chapter by chapter. Like, okay. Yeah. I mean, I had a rough deadline, I think. Um, like the end of last year, I, I wanted to have it all done, but I, I think we went over that. Um, yeah. but, uh, but yeah, every, every artist had their own thing going on and they fit this in as best they could. And so I might be doing one aspect of one chapter and then uh, doing art corrections on another chapter. And then one chapter I have to script and one chapter I have to, uh, I don't know, do a panel layout. So I, I'd be doing different things all the time, but uh, the most labor intensive for me was, was just doing the scripting because it just, it's just draining and you're kind of, immersed in the storytelling in your head so getting to work on the actual pages was like a vacation to me <laughs> um there there re actually there was so much that i learned because like like you said that you were a casual fan that's that's all i really knew was you know the greatest hits of yeah. willie nelson and uh, mm -hmm. you know and, and he did appear on monk which was you know, one of my favorite shows. Um, yeah, yeah. has his Hollywood career too. Yeah, yeah. has his Hollywood career and Wag the Dog. I loved his role in Wag the Dog, uh -huh. uh, which um, is a movie, you know, if you've never heard of it, please figure out how to watch it because it seems to always be relevant. Yeah. Um, <laughs> talking about politics. Um, 
but um you know like the the songs that Willie wrote for other people and yet the covers that he did of other people's songs i you know i really learned all kinds of stuff that you know these songs that i i thought were so iconically willie you know like blue eyes crying in the rain mm-hmm. um you know and, and i didn't realize that he didn't even he hadn't written that but then right. he, you know he, he gets to uh, you really get to know who he was as a person like this the struggling guy who would just pick up and leave, go from town to town, pack, packing up his family. Um, he yep. had several wives throughout his lifetime because it yes. was not easy mm-hmm. being married to a musician, I guess. And, yeah. uh, uh, you know, and, and he would just really grind at it, you know, and when he needed money, he would try to sell encyclopedias from door to door, whatever it took. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he did whatever it took. <laughs> What's that? I said I think people in comics can probably relate. Oh yeah, yeah, it's a it's a grind. Um, but yeah, yeah, he would do whatever it took to get by, and um, more often than not, it was his wife that would support him while he was trying to to make it in some way in music, um, whether it was as a songwriter or a performer, just you know, going to club after club, uh, playing several shows a night or, um, or yeah, trying to sell his songs or, um, or yeah, or, or he would do side jobs like selling encyclopedias or, um, at a certain point he was a radio DJ. And so at um, least it was steady and he could, you know, slip in his own (laughs) records on snow aisle. Right. Yeah. Yeah, plus he had access to recording equipment so he could record his own songs and and maybe play them, you know, if he could. And um and he could plug his own gigs on the air, which is always helpful. Helpful. I would think. Yeah. yeah. Very helpful. Um definitely. And you know, and and the fact that that Willie Nelson of all people like didn't feel fully welcome uh, by the record labels, you know, like they couldn't figure out you know who he was what kind of music is this and and yet uh, when he got the opportunity to finally be like his authentic self Mm -hmm. it um you know it it felt enlightening yeah for him for him and he could finally like ditch the suits and let his hair grow and he was smoking weed and uh uh, (laughs) you know just hanging out with with his other musician friends doing what they love yeah. Yeah. He was, uh, yeah, for a long time there, he, he was, he would do whatever it took, um, to make it. And and if that meant, um, fitting into any kind of mold that a record executive would want to put him in, um, he would be willing to try it. And he's like, okay, if you think I can do that, I'll do that. And after doing that for several times he's like well um maybe i should do it differently and um for a while he even retired and just became a farmer and he was farming pigs on a farm and Mm. um but then you know he went to austin and he saw this new thing happening um with all the long hairs (laughs) and uh (laughs) And uh, he started playing there 
And, and it was different uh, than Nashville. It was just yeah, much different than Nashville. And everybody was kind of doing their own thing. So, yeah, at that point, he could really be himself. And, uh, and that's when he kind of blossomed and everybody took notice in a, in a mainstream way, at least. Right. Yeah, definitely a, a difference. Like, we, you know, and you mentioned this, the Beatles, but, you know, same thing. You know, we saw how they started and then what it was like when when counterculture um you know yeah really well, yeah really yeah you can't imagine it. when you were a, when you're a, a musician at that time you can't help but be influenced by what's happening at that time so yeah and willie was in the military and he hurt his back seriously and yeah um you know so uh, for for him to still be so you know, like this peaceful kind of person and um, very generous from the sound mm -hmm. of it. You know, yeah. I he helped orchestrate charity events and farm aid and, and things like that. And right. um, just always looking to help other musicians too. So yeah, yeah. I he's always been a generous, generous soul and uh, um, just generally a positive person doesn't like to dwell on anything negative uh, i think he's he's kind of notorious for not attending funerals just because he doesn't want to dwell on anything negative um he, he doesn't like to think about the past doesn't like to worry um so uh, he's just kind of a i don't know he's just a a good influence in general on me at least yeah. And you didn't, I mean, nothing is sugarcoated in this story. That's what's, you know, it's, it's very real. Like, you yeah. know, when he, he got uh, flagged for, you know, not paying his taxes because mm -hmm. again, as a creative person, he entrusted somebody <laughs> to do the bookkeeping and, right. and do be his business manager. Mm -hmm. And the person did not pay the taxes. Right. Um, so you know, that fell down on him and he, you know, once again, struggling. So like there's these cycles of him like being dirt poor over and over yeah. again. Yeah. But he could always fall back on just going out on the road. And that was just, that's always that been his, his, his go-to ever since he was a kid. I mean, you can just, it's just like a stand-up comedian. Um, you know, if they have a network series or something that gets canceled, they can yeah. always go back to stand up because they know the road and they know they can make money. So it's like that. I mean, he can always, he can always sing for the money. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's it on the road again. <laughs> All right. Well, um, so TJ, where can people get more information about you? And um, as we said, the Willie Nelson graphic history book is out through NBM. So you can find their website, but where can they find about you in particular? Um, they can find more about, about me at tjkirsch.com. And like you said, they can always go to the NBM website and that's nbmpub.com. And they can find more out about uh, Pride of the Decent Man as well as Willie Nelson, A Graphic History. And um, on Twitter at tjkirsch and on Instagram at TJ Kirsch 81, because that's when I was born, 1981. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, thank you so much for um, the history lessons and sure. and just sharing this bit of your life. Um, it's great to you know to talk to you. Besides on Twitter, <laughs> you too. Yeah, this is, this has been great. It's been my pleasure. Um. Oh, so what? What was your literary agent page again? Oh, it was. Uh, site? I'm on Twitter at uh, JCH Literary and on the web at uh, jchliterary.com. And there they can see any kind of submission guidelines if um, if there's a comic creator that wants to reach out um, or a picture book author or anything like that. All of my submission guidelines are on that page. Okay, fantastic. And you guys can keep... Uh following along with the cat adventures that get posted daily at Instagram at Amber Unmasked. Um, but to get the weekly case files that get written up, um, uh, often with hilarious gifs, um, when possible, as often as possible. <laughs> um, sometimes there might be a whole like Schitt's Creek themed case file, even though it has nothing uh-huh. to do with Schitt's Creek. <laughs> um, so uh, that is at Amber Unmasked and you can support my work at patreon.com slash Amber Unmasked. So TJ, thanks again for your time and, and the effort and the Willie Nelson history. Well, thank you so much. And I'm, I'm glad you read the book and I'm glad you enjoyed it. 